I'm Chris Epting, and this is Roadside Baseball, the podcast. Take me out to the ball game, sung by Edward Meeker, Edison Record. was baseball mad, had the fever and had it bad, just to root for the hometown through every zoo, Katie Blue. On a Saturday, her young beau called to see if she'd like to go to see a show, but Miss Kate said no, I'll tell you what you can do. Take me out to the ball game, take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and cracker jack. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes. You're out at the old ball game. Katie Casey saw all the games. Knew the players by their first names. Told the umpire he was wrong all along. Good and strong. When the score was just two to two, Katie Casey knew what to do. Just to cheer up the boys she knew, she made the gang sing this song. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and cracker jacks. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. That, of course, is the full version of Take Me Out to the Ball Game, written back in 1908. Thankfully, Jack Norworth was on a subway train in Upper Manhattan and saw an ad for a baseball game where the New York Giants were playing up at the polo grounds, and that inspired him on that very train to start scratching out some lyrics on a piece of scrap paper. He soon handed those over to uh, Albert Von Tilser, who wrote the music, and lo and behold, the classic was born. And with that, we're going to get into today's Roadside Baseball podcast episode um, there's a guy named Graham Knight, and he is—he's uh, like the ultimate baseball traveler. I mean, this guy to me is a roadside baseball old soul, if you will. For more than 20 years, he has been traveling the country, uh, visiting ballparks, writing about ballparks, um, posting images, reviews, really creating an incredible uh, amount of information online so that you and me and any fan can learn about a park before we visit it. The site is baseballpilgrimages.com. And he's been to more than 200 parks, and I wanted to talk to him about his adventures and his experiences, his likes, his dislikes. And so that's what we have today. I hope you enjoy the conversation. It runs about a half an hour or so, and I think you'll enjoy it. He's a really smart guy and a very passionate, knowledgeable fan who, again, has done um, a lion's share of work so that we, the fans, can enjoy ballparks before we even get there. So without further ado, my conversation with Graham Knight. Graham, I think of all of the people I've spoken to uh, about this whole kind of roadside baseball idea of travel and baseball, I think you're probably the ultimate in terms of what you've done uh, in your life and, and the places you've been and, and just your your pure passion for 
for not just, uh, you know, locating ballparks, but going in, experiencing them, photographing them. I mean, it really is a big part of your life, isn't it? Oh, I agree. And it's become, I would say, somewhat of a, a passionate obsession. You know, you can have an obsession, but this is one with a, a lot of passion behind it. Mm-hmm. So the concept of your book and podcast is, you know, pretty much what I've been doing uh, for 20 years now. And it, it didn't start off that way. I just originally wanted to see some spring training games and uh, I'm a Red Sox fan. So I wanted to see them play as many different ballparks or stadiums as possible. And just kind of morphed until I wanted to see as much uh, much as I could, you know, all across the country, not just you know in a local region or just the thirty major league ballparks. What was the point when it when it changed? When you went from your sort of you know the pet interest of wanting to experience Red Sox baseball, at what point did it expand? And did you realize, hey, it's a huge world out there. It's a big country. There are lots of these places. And you know, when did that begin to take over? How early in the journey? And and you say about twenty years ago. So you're, I mean, you're a young. Guy guy now so you were probably really young when this all started right well see i am just turned 44 recently so um you know i I graduated college in 1999 from the university of georgia with a journalism degree and i had worked um doing websites and for some of the uh the big fox tv companies um it was all actually done out of atlanta where i lived and so um you know as i became more aware of the world around me through the internet a lot of people did because i couldn't travel and i didn't have uh, the time or money in college um and really the discovery of minor league baseball which i was never really aware of you know i i you know, you know about the majors i had been going to spring training uh, i think the first time i did that was 1989 when i was 13 or 14 um but when i discovered the minor leagues and, and i didn't really even the first year or two i was doing trips to see major league ballparks i was you know only casually aware of minor league ballparks and we didn't have our phones back then so you couldn't look up a, a schedule if i was in you know the california area i didn't have a way to know when the minor league teams were at home right and so there were places 2001 two and three that i missed and it wasn't until i really started to pay attention to all the ballparks triple a double a single a you know and even independent leagues that i decided you know what i can if i'm going to be in the los angeles area or san diego area you know why not go to lake elsinore or stockton or you know ballparks that are you know near some of the major league ballparks that i'm going to so yeah it 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 wasn't you know there's so many minor league ballparks and you get new ones every year there's previous ones that become old and no longer active so it's a never-ending quest the same way it is at a major league or even spring training level, but it was when I discovered the minor league ballparks. And to me, there, there's so much less known about them, but that yeah. became more fascinating to me. If and you're, then you're you, right. I think people don't realize kind of what a sleeping giant the minor league system is. And, and in a lot of ways, too, from a historic standpoint, it's the only way to find places where guys like Babe Ruth and Josh Gibson and Satchel Page played. Because, again, there are far more older minor league parks now than there are major league parks. Exactly. And, and the history is preserved in a lot of instances. I was in uh, the Fayetteville, North Carolina last week, and I had no idea that's where Babe Ruth hit his first professional home run yeah. in an uh, inter-squad game back in 1914. And there was a plaque alongside the road, yeah, isn't that great? Um, which, I, which I didn't actually know about, except there was a picture of it in the new ballpark for the, the Fayetteville Woodpeckers that had just opened a couple months ago. And, you know, I could read the plaque and then I figured out where it was. It was on the way to the previous minor league ballpark in Fayetteville, which hadn't been used professionally since 2000. So I saw that. That was just an interesting tidbit that I had no no idea about. When you travel, you run into things like that restaurant, people, places that you wouldn't have known about otherwise. It, you know, our, our, our attention span is probably not what it was 
a long time ago where you see everything in you know, tweets and Facebook posts. So it's nice to be able to take it all, take it all in and, and, you know, experience, you know, in some instances the way that it was because minor league baseball is still not just affordable, but it's still very personal. You can get up close to the game. Um, you can see everything in the ballpark. You know, you can park next to the ballpark, you know, things like that. It's not all that time consuming once you're there. It's not all that expensive. And I, I found that, you know, minor league parks to me in many ways be far more enjoyable than going to the major league ballparks, um, which we all know about. And, and certainly that was, you know, one of the greatest things accomplished in this journey was on the first time I made it to 30 of 30 in the, in the major leagues, which finally happened in 2007 when I was at Petco Park. But, um, you know, the minor leagues, I would say, hold a special significance to, um, you know, the serious, serious band. Um, you know, it's not just the, the one that want to spend uh, the spring in Arizona watching all the practice league games or, you know, trying to sell major league ballparks, but to see as many as they can. And I really was fascinated with, you know, traveling in general and history as well. So it wasn't just I was going, originally it wasn't just going to the minor league ballparks or major league ballparks. I wanted to see Mount Rushmore. I wanted to see the Liberty Bell Philadelphia and things like that. So right. it all was kind of wrapped into one. So it wasn't just baseball. You know, that was... Uh, no, but baseball was a is a great sort of excuse. I, I think a good baseball road trip really is a nice way to make all those other things happen because in between all those ballparks is where you find the best American history. I mean, at least I always found. Oh, I agree. I never would have stopped by Gettysburg in Pennsylvania on the 4th of July, you know, seven, eight years ago. If I hadn't been traveling from somewhere in Pennsylvania where I had been to Hagerstown, Maryland for an afternoon game, I just realized I was near Gettysburg and at least wanted to see the battlefield. Right. Um, Mount Rushmore, which I mentioned the same thing, had I not gone to the College World Series in 2004, you know, I'm not saying Mount Rushmore is near, but it was close enough for that figure. That was my chance. So well, right, right. You're, right. you're within, yeah, you get within at least a certain proximity because it's so remote that uh, you're not going to find yourself there again anytime soon. So why not take advantage of it? And that's the big thing is, like you say, a lot of places you're not going to find yourself in anytime again ever um, or certainly soon. And I don't want to rush through the experience I, I could have been gone to more ballparks is probably a couple that I've skipped um, where I wanted to spend some time in the towns or locations that I was in. And then maybe there's one or two ballparks that, you know, I, I skipped Auburn, New York. I usually could have got that one, but I wanted to spend an extra day, you know, the Hall of Fame. I spent two days in Cooperstown rather than, you know, doing one of the other minor league parks. Um, you know, hopefully it'll, it'll be there for a while, but you know, I, I hate to feel that I'm rushed, and so I want to experience it as much as I can because, you know, I, you know, there's certain parts of the country that are wide open spaces and aren't, aren't easy to get back to, uh, especially, you know, Montana and North Dakota and places like that. So as, as I as I get out to those areas, which isn't as easy, you know, now that I've, I've had I've seven and ten-year-olds, I can just take, you know, two, three weeks at a time. Uh, I really got to try to squeeze trips in, so I try to maximize it as much as I can because there's still a lot to see. I've seen a lot there's still ways to go. And as we're talking right now, I've been to, uh, I've seen games in two thirds of all the active minor league ballparks. And, and I've been to all the major league parks and all the spring training parks uh, many, many times, but uh, I'd love to finish off the minor leagues. And then there's the independent leagues and there's people that do uh, college wood bat leagues in the summer. So it's kind of never ending. At some point you got, you got to draw your line, but it's been really enjoyable. Um, seeing a lot of cool places, met a lot of cool people. Uh, and baseball does bring people together. And uh, again, at the minor league level, as we talked about, I think it's a little more personal. So you're, you're more apt to talk to people, meet people, and learn things about the city. We all think we know about Los Angeles or Kansas City, but you know, I was in Kinston, North Carolina recently. I didn't know anything about that place without mm -hmm. without 
talking to other people, I wouldn't know necessarily where to eat or what to see or even what to do, um, you know, from a, from a local's perspective. So it, it's a neat thing to do. I, I certainly didn't think I'd be talking about this, uh, you know, 19 years after I started the website. Um, you know, it's just kind of morphed into something that's, uh, you know, fun to do. And then, and then Facebook and stuff like that enables people to kind of follow along with what you're doing. Um sure. So it's it's amazing how much the world has changed, how much ballparks have changed in the past twenty years. What's of the, course, the world keep, technology. You, you keep kind of a running tally number wise, I believe. Well, what's the number at now, Graham, for how many parks you've been to, just completely, uh, you know, minor and major together? In terms of seeing a game at a place, lifetime number is two hundred eight. That's forty five major league, and the rest are uh, minor league, independent league, spring training. And I've been in another. 58 ballparks that I have not seen a game at. So I, I only count it as an official visit if I actually see a pro game there. So even when I see a college game, I don't count it, but uh, I at least count it as a ballpark, a ballpark visit. So as of uh, July of 2019, um, 208 ballparks I've seen a game in and 58 that I've been to. Wow. What are some of the favorite uh, minor and major that come to mind when you think about um, a good fan experience, you know, something that has maybe appealed to your whole family? Are there, are there a few favorites that, that rise to the top right away? Uh, from an individual standpoint, I grew up in Pittsburgh and moved to Georgia when I was 12, and I went to games at Three River Stadium growing up. So when PNC Park opened in 2001, I had to go up there to see it, and I've been up there a handful of times since then. I think from a location standpoint, just a wow factor, it's, it's as good as it gets. And having grown up in that area, it's just so night and day different than what we had in the cookie cutter concrete donut area area. Um, so that's probably my favorite of the major leagues other than Fenway park, but I've been a Red Sox fan for a long time and I've had a chance to go to Fenway many, many times growing up. Uh, but the, I think the major league level, the one that surprised me most was McCoffman stadium in Kansas city, just because it's a seventies ballpark. Um, but with the waterfalls and the renovations they did back in 09, 2010, uh, King hall of fame, that is one that's, really need to experience mm -hmm. um even though the structure itself is kind of a you know a traditional double decker but it's just to be able to walk through the waterfalls to see the team hall of fame it's, it's it's a neat place to watch the game um at the minor league level i think it depends the best ballpark that i've been to in the minors is memphis tennessee which opened back in 2000 for the triple like redbirds um i just think that's you know, from a location standpoint, it's, it's close to Beale Street, which is obviously something a lot of people know about. But it's yeah. just, I like settings, uh, locations near rivers or, you know, skyscraper skylines. You know, I, I've always been a big fan of looking out past the ballpark and be able to see things and have that action framed by more than just trees or, you know, an apartment complex or something like that. So um, Memphis is impressive because it has that skyline. It has that low proximity to you know, a famous rib and barbecue restaurant uh, to Beale Street to a couple other things. So I've always really, really enjoyed that. And I, I think so many of the ballparks, the lower levels, once you're double A, single A down, are ideal for families because the crowds usually aren't that big. And, you know, my kids can get close to the players and you can walk around. You can kind of sit wherever you want. It's still yeah. very laid back. It's not, you know, so many of these newer ballparks, uh, somebody else coined the term, there's moats around them those areas between the dugouts you can't even get into anymore in fact you can't get behind the dugouts a lot of places and even some of the newer minor league ballparks at the higher levels i've, I've noticed that and you know it, the accessibility is not what it was and that's you know just a point because baseball is a very personal the more up close you are and you experience it um you know the more interaction you have with players or getting balls or just whatever you're 
whatever tickles your fancy, that's that's what it means to maintain. And you're pushing people back. That's you know that's not a good thing. To me, I realize that's why they you know a lot of people do it from a revenue standpoint. But I like it when you have that accessibility. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I freedom, agree. freedom to move around because as much as I enjoy the game, it's a minor league baseball game, uh, and you're not going to remember or let alone care who wins. And the players are usually there to develop, so they're not necessarily trying to win the game either. In a major league game, it's completely different. You're there to watch a particular team or players. Um, but I like being up close as we can, and we like to try to get the ballpark as early as we can. And if it's a city that I'm not going to go to, I want to get there as early as I can because I'm probably not going to be back. I'd rather be at the ballpark for six, seven hours rather than three, you know, get there as early as I can. So, um, yeah, but to answer your original question, sometimes it just remembers the ballparks that I've been to maybe most recently are, are the ones that stick out because I think they're all, for the most part, they're all pretty good in their own unique way. I mean, there is a level of sameness now with some of the, uh, some of the stuff that you'll see in ballparks in terms of how the concourse are laid out or some of the craft beer areas, you know, they all have similar, it's kind of like going to a mall in some instances, they're all similar in a way, maybe the food court is laid out and so on and so forth, but it's done in a good way. It's not, you know, from the 20, 30 year ago era of the minor leagues when they would just kind of just figure out where the land was cheap, you know, build it on the cheap and, um, you know, if you're good enough to, to play baseball there. So they're, you know, most ballparks now, the ones that have been built recently are, are located in, you know, central areas of the city and kind of where they, they're, they're happening in of themselves and, and uh, you know, a destination within a destination. I certainly saw that in Fayetteville, North Carolina, when I was there last week. So, no, there's 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 a lot. I don't have too many bad things to say about the ballparks. Um, certainly not too many of, uh, of the recent ones, but it's just, I think it's just enjoyable to see so many different places. And, um, you know, that's, that's been, a, been probably the best part about this is going to uh, cities and, uh, that I never thought I'd go to in the United States. So if you've seen a couple hundred ballparks, you've been to a couple hundred cities. <laughs> and, and I think that's a way to put it. You were doing, uh, you were doing this before it became a thing. And I'm sure you're aware that, you know, 20 years ago, the whole concept of doing a baseball tour didn't really exist and you look at it now there are companies that are dedicated to doing just that to mapping out a tour for you to booking the games booking the hotels doing everything and then you've got just sort of you know independent warriors who will go out and say you know we're going to do six ballparks in eight days and it's it's become i think for fans a real uh a thing you know it's a real organized uh approach that people take today in terms of ballpark travel but you were doing it uh and really trailblazing it way before what do you think looking around you today seeing how it's become so structured and so popular in terms of going out and and knocking down you know x amount of ballparks in a certain period of time well yes there's the bucket list people always had that bucket list ever since that movie came out many years ago um, with that phrase, and people want to see games in all 30 major league ballparks. And it, it's a little bit daunting. You know, the first time I started out traveling, um, you're going to a place where you don't know anybody and um, you don't know necessarily where you're going to stay in advance unless you book all your hotels and things like that or airfare. And it, it, so traveling initially was, was daunting. And, you know, it, it's certainly a lot easier if something's all set up for you. You know, that's no different than going on a cruise or something else you have to do. Just show up to the boat and take care of you. So I can understand why that. That, that would take off. My, my in-laws do trips like that, uh, not for baseball, but to you know, see the world and the country. Right. Uh, and there's a certain camaraderie that you already have built in. When people are sharing that similar passion, everybody on that group is probably as nuts about baseball or history or traveling as you are. So you have that instant kinship, which is nice. Mm-hmm. So I, I can understand why people do it. Uh, and, you know, it, 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 I would say, you know, I've certainly seen 
the cost of the stores, and they're expensive. But, you know, it's it's a way to complete your bucket list or knock off a, a good segment of it. So, um, I, I, you know, it, it would be a fun thing to do. Christy and I should start a company. <laughs> I tell you, we have it figured out pretty quickly, I think, between uh, our our combined experiences. Yeah, I think we would be able to bring people on on a pretty pretty interesting uh, adventure in terms of baseball history. Exactly. I'm, I'm sure that was a dream job for, you know, Jay Buckley is, a, is one that people know well about. But, I mean, yeah, yeah sure. I, if you're a tour guide, I, I'm sure that is a dream job for somebody. So, I'm, you know, um, I'd love to do, be the tour guide. You know, Not so much to be the guy on the tour, but be the tour guide. I think that would be uh, as, as more enjoyable to share that with everybody else. Which I totally I agree. I, I, I completely empathize, and I think about that a lot, actually, because I, I, I don't know about you. I'm sure you do as well, but you almost become an ambassador for these parks. If, you've, if you're going back to someplace you've already been, you know, if you see somebody kind of wandering around and looking for direction, you almost want to step in and say, hey, don't miss this. Go, go check out that perspective or go eat there or whatever. You almost feel like you want people to have as good an experience as you've had there in the past. Oh, I agree. I've done that. Uh, many times I've overheard people asking you know, sure somebody else, right, you know, right. <laughs> what's this or what's over there. And I've written a few books and a couple of guy books to spring training, one for Arizona and Florida. There's, I don't know if there's anybody else that knows more about the spring training experience uh, in either state than myself. And, you know, anytime I'm at spring training, the camps for the, the games or just the practices or workouts, you know, I've done it so many times and written about it <laughs> that, that I have no problem you know, giving advice or telling people, no, this is where things are, or this is where you get autographs, or this is you know, maybe where players hang out, or these are the seats are in the shade, or this is the best way to get tickets, or maybe the best place to stay in town. But you learn that through experience. You don't want to hoard that to yourself. The best part about that is sharing that with other people, you know? Especially well, on that, note, on, on that note, Graham, at your website, baseballpilgrimages.com, you've really, you know, laid out a remarkable amount of information from photographs, I mean, park by park with, with descriptions and history. I mean, it's a really impressive body of work that the website comprises. I mean, I, I'm sure you realize what a service you've done for, for fans that like to travel on the site. Um, but as a writer and a photographer, you've done, I, I think, a remarkable job at delivering the experience to people and giving them those. I think the insider tips are really important as well, the parking, location, all that kind of stuff. But you've, you've really made it easier for people. And I think that's a, a real testament to your passion that you're not just doing it for yourself, but that you're making this stuff available for people on your site in a way that's easy to digest and really kind of fun to go through. Oh, I enjoy doing it. And I think the goal... You know, initially it was just to write my reviews of different ballparks that I've been to. Well, the, the, the parks changed so much year over year, um, you know, even before they're replaced. There's, there's so many things that are added and subtracted. So uh, the goal, I think, now and, and has been for the last few years is really to make a kind of a reference guide where if you want to know, um, you know, the outfield dimensions of the ballpark or what kind of grass is on the field or where the home team dugout is, make sure that I include all that stuff. Because um, I love writing about them, but I realize that people's attention spans aren't what they were 15 years ago. Right. They're not going to read, you know, four or five pages worth of a review on some random minor league or major league park. So I'm trying to condense it to where it's um, useful and readable to as many people as I can. To that end, I've had somebody that's redesigning the website, and it's been going on for a few months, and it probably won't be relaunched until next year. But it'll be more accessible, a little more bite-sized in terms of how some of the information is, you know, is, is laid out, but I think easier to use. Because that, that's something I really want to do is make it you know, kind of a reference guide for all the professional ballparks at all levels of baseball. 
Um, and that's my goal. And I love hearing from other people and meeting other people on the road. You know, I don't get a chance to travel as much as I used to with, with you know, kids that are quite active in, in baseball and Cub Scouts and some other things. So, you know, it's more maybe other people getting a chance to do what I've already done. And, um, you know, a couple times a year, I'll certainly add a new a couple of new ballparks that I get to when I'm on the road. But, uh, yeah, I just try to – I think my goal is to make it as a, a reference site for ballparks. And, um, you know, originally it was more about my thoughts on the particular ballpark. So try to try to make it a little more accessible to everybody else from, from, their, from what they might want, not just what I'm fascinated by it. Because uh, I certainly love the historical aspects of it, how any park came to be, whether how it was built, how much it cost to build it, who the architect was. I always try to include those things because um, those are factual and sometimes not easy to find uh, some of these old ballparks. So I've got a ton of information that I haven't even put on the online yet. I've done a lot of reviews that still are online, you know, even after ballparks I've been to, you know, a few years ago. So uh, I think in some instances, trying to be a perfectionist and, and do it as well as I can makes it, makes it a little more difficult. I think it would be a lot easier just to throw a picture and, you know, some, hmm. uh, you know the address out there. But uh, I do try to make it as useful as I can and informative as I can. You, you see this on, on on the side of the road when you see these historical markers. And living in the South, they have a lot of them from the Civil War, but I always try to read, you know, uh, as much amount as I can, but you're trying to condense a whole lot of information into, you know, something that people can consume in the amount of time they're willing to consume it. And uh, I'm trying to take cues from the size of maybe a post on Facebook or, you know, a marker on the side of the road, like I saw in Fayetteville about Babe Ruth's first home run and put as much information as I can without going overboard. It's something that's going to stand the test of time. Or if you write about a particular ballpark feature, it might be gone a year or two from now. It right, might change. Right. You know, with the renovations, there's such a big, you know, and we'll see this in the major leagues next year with a new ballpark in Texas. You now that's replacing one that's 25 or 24 years old. Uh, Turner Field was replaced after 20 years. It's um, crazy. It's crazy, spring. isn't it? I, I, you know, I look at it, this. <laughs> I mean, and now, now, thankfully, I mean, they're going to keep, I mean, in Texas, anyhow, they're going to maintain the park in some capacity. They're not, they're not raising the whole thing, but, but still, I mean, I was there at the all-star game, uh, I think in 1995 and it was a new park at that point, brand new park. And I, I can't believe that it's now being retired. I mean, it's just, it's, it's incredible how we cycle through ballparks, you know, it's, uh, really makes you wonder if, if uh, Fenway and Wrigley are going to, I mean, hopefully they'll hang on for as long as we have a modern game in front of us. But but you don't know. I mean, when they tore down Yankee Stadium, I grew up in New York. I never thought I'd see that day where, where fans would would allow that kind of uh, move by a team. But, you know, we live in different times today, so I guess anything is possible. I mean, who would have thought that Dodger Stadium would be the third oldest park in the majors, you know? Exactly. And within the National League, it's, it's Wrigley Field, Dodger Stadium, then Coors Field. Coors yeah. Field, we consider recent. It's the third oldest ballpark in that league. And it's just, it boggles, it boggles a lot. So uh, Texas, to me, is a tra- an attractive ballpark, as you will find, from the exterior. If they're going to raise that, which they're not going to raise it, but if they're going to abandon that, that truly looks like what a baseball stadium should look like. I agree. You know, um, you know, originally the ballpark in Arlington had a perfect name. I know it's had a couple different sponsor names since yeah. then, but... That to me looks like a ballpark. It's probably bigger than it needs to be, but it, you know, it, it it to me was perfect for a modern game. There was nothing wrong with Turner Field either, and you know, Oakland still has their ballpark. Tropicana Field still exists in Tampa Bay, but you know, it, 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 is there a demand for a brand new ballpark? I, I think that you know, it, it's hot in Texas. I agree with that, but I mean, I don't know that there was a need to. I, I think everybody was surprised. You know, same thing with the Braves announced that they were moving originally. It was yeah. such a surprise because these are new. You know, it would be one thing if. You know, Dodger Stadium is 
you know, 60 or 50, 60 years old. No, they're modern stadiums. That. You're right. They are purely modern stadiums. And there's, you know, they're not, they don't seem broken. They don't appear to be broken. No, not to most of us. And I think in some instances, that's, that's the, the problem is that a lot of big revenue streams are coming in from, you know, the mezzanine level and, you know, having particular restaurants and craft beer dispensaries and, you know, the, the VIP seats and getting those people to sign season tickets for seven years and things like that. And you can't do it when it's new. So I guess that, you know, sometimes you want that new car smell and it gets more publicity and it's guaranteed to be bopping the tennis. Then you don't have to pay for yourself. Right. That's a big thing. Right. <laughs> you know, Hey, I'll tell you this, Chris, if, if somebody was willing to buy, you know, spend a million dollars and get us a house, we would move into it right away. But if we have to spend a million dollars ourselves in the house, you know, we're, we're happy where we are right now. So, yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, if you're asking people are willing to do it, I guess that's, you know, that's a whole other conversation. Um, you know, it's certainly one we had here. I live in Cobb County where the Braves are now. certainly one that, that happened here a few years ago. But, yeah, it, it's hard to believe, you know. Um, at, at some point in time, you'll think Anaheim will be changed. You know, that, that's kind of old, just, you know, kind of a basic baseball state. Well, baseball look, house. it's been – there's a lot of discussion now about – obviously, there's been talk for a couple of years about the team moving, and Anaheim is the fourth oldest ballpark in the major leagues. Uh, followed by Oakland at five, which you know, again, three of the top five are in California, which is which is crazy. But uh, but you know, Anaheim had a major renovation in 1998. You know, taking it back to its open um, center field and things like that. And I mean, look, the, Anaheim Stadium is 15 minutes from where I talk to you from right now. I mean, that's our local park and doesn't seem broken to a lot of people. But like you say, as everything changes around you, the standards become different and there's this pressure to perform and, and and make things different and i you know i don't know i i don't know how this all shakes out in the end but um i wish we had kept a few of the older parks obviously you mentioned uh you know pnc in pittsburgh which i agree with you is really of all the newer parks i think that's right at the top of the list but you know you wander over to the remains of forbes field where there's a piece of the wall up and the the home plate i don't know if you've been over to the university of pittsburgh uh in your travels yes i have Sure and, yeah, you know, definitely. you walk over there and you kind of sense what used to be. And I think it's a shame sometimes at least the parks couldn't have been repurposed, you know, for something. You know, Yankee Stadium to me was a shame they couldn't figure out some way to at least keep, even though there are fields there today, community fields, which is, which is nice. But to have had at least a part of the structure uh, remain intact to remind people of what was there and to open it for high schools or colleges or whatever – um, but the structures, you know, once they're gone, they're gone. And and people will usually bemoan that years later and say, well, how could they have done this? Yet when there was a time to save it and protect it, you know, very, very few people in New York anyhow stood up there. You know, there wasn't that much noise about Yankee Stadium being taken down, at least from a, from a fan perspective. I didn't see it. And uh, I think it's unfortunate. I think we forget how important old ballparks are because of what the history they contain, which I guess gets us back to the beginning of our conversation about minor league parks and why they are so charming and and important in terms of the game's history. Well, they have a big place in their their cities and communities. And I think, you know, maybe in Yankee Stadium's case, you know, it wasn't the original structure was what raised and rebuilt in 73, 74, because I know the Yankees played two seasons at Shea in the yeah. 70s. And maybe made, you know, they always dated the ballpark from, you know, when it opened uh, back in the early 20s. But, you know, realistically, that was a 1970 structure at the end. Well, you're and, right. You know, you're uh, exactly right. And again, I grew up going there. And after the 73, I was, I was at the last game in 73 before they, they shut it down for two years. 
and where they let people basically go crazy and rip it to shreds. But the park that reopened two years later, to me, was never really like the original Yankee Stadium. It felt like a very strange hybrid where they were trying to do one thing and it, trying to keep a foot in the past. And I, to me, it never worked. I never felt that park was anything too special post-renovation, personally. So, um, And I've heard that from people up there. It's a little more sterile. I never got to go to Tiger Stadium in Detroit. I mean, I did. I went there the year after it was shot. In Comerica Park open, and it was locked up. You couldn't get in there. Right. And that's the one ballpark that I would have loved to have gone to. You know, unfortunately, it last year was I was still in college, oh. and it wasn't easy to get up there. And so I graduated in '99, and then the next year I went up there. But you literally could get into the ballpark. I would have paid ten, twenty bucks for just to walk, you know, walk sure. around. I think a lot of people would have done that. And and now there is. It's taking years. Uh, but now there's a field there. I think it's turf field, and you know they yeah. police athletic league or something. But it's not the same. And it, you know it, that's Detroit. That's a whole other ball. No, it's <laughs> not the same. Act, and that but... was a park that looked to see a game there was a really special experience. Very intimate. You know, wonderful. I you know so one game there, and I know it was a totally unforgettable experience. But that ballpark sat there deteriorating for years. You know, it was. It was sad to watch it just sort of erode and crumble over time. There was an opportunity to save more than just the uh, the diamond, you know, and and they didn't do it. So, I look, I know these things take money, and it is, it's it's easy for me to say, oh, someone should do it, you know. But but at the end of the day, I think there are resources out there where if they were pooled together properly, there could have been something done a little bit differently there to at least save a part of the structure. Because again, that's what that's what makes a Tiger Stadium is is a piece of the structure. I agree. There's there's some you know the building that come that that you know from the Field of Dreams site. Well, you can still go to the house in the cornfield, and people travel from all over the place to go right. to this movie set in Iowa. I think people will go to see part of the real thing in Detroit. I agree. Um, you know, even The Natural, which was filmed in 1984 at the old Buffalo War Memorial Stadium. Right. Most of the stadium's gone, but they kept up parts of the facade where the gates were. I think the ballpark had, or the stadium had four gates. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And, and, and those are still there, and you can walk underneath them. And there's, you know, track and field and things like that. There's still athletic activities going on there, but it's not... Look at look at League Park in Cleveland. I mean, League Park to me is really one of the best stories of this kind because there was a part of the park that remained. There was the team offices there on the corner of uh, I think it's Lexington and 66th, and the field has been you know renovated, and you can go there now. I don't know if you've been to League Park in Cleveland. I assume you have. I have, uh, you know, I have not been to that one. Um, All right, that you should put on your list. That, that's something we I think really last year and we didn't, we didn't do it. So I, my kid, we, we had to see again the game that took the kids to that, and then sure. we had to leave, unfortunately, immediately afterward. Uh, the one that I can think of is Braves Field, where the original ticket office, the box office, which is a decent sized structure, is now the you know, the same exact building. It looks the same. Right, it's now Nickerson the Field. University Police Department, right? And you can walk in there, and, and I have, and, and it'll let you, you know, walk yeah. around and look at some pictures. Wonderful. So that, that was neat to be able to see that. Obviously, you know, the, the field itself is long gone, but I mean, the actual structure that was used for the ticket office is there, and it's been repurposed and it's still used. And I don't think a lot of people know about that. Um, you know, I, I don't know how many times I was in Boston before I was aware that that was still there. Um, but yeah, I, you know, so I, I know that League Park, I think as recently in the past year or two, they spent a lot of money yeah. to, you know, I think it was someone in conjunction with the All-Star Gaming in Cleveland. So they want to make sure that that was done before the All-Star Game was held. Right. But I haven't seen it. I'd love, I'd love to be able to I think to do you'd that enjoy it. I think that'd be a good, a good stopping point for you when, when you're up there again. You'll, you'll definitely appreciate 
um, you know, what they've done and, and how it's how it's preserved. Graham, the last thing I would ask you is, you know, with baseball kind of expanding now, we recently had the Yankees and Red Sox from London and teams are playing in Mexico. In, in terms of your pilgrimages, do you see yourself kind of expanding and going across the borders and going to places where baseball has been played around the world eventually? I think it's tough. I've never been to Japan, and that's supposed to be a pretty phenomenal experience. That, you know, I've known a few people who've gone seeing games over there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know my brother lives in London, and I would have had a free plane ticket to London, so it could not have been easier to get for me to get there. I still wasn't able to pull it off just because of everything else going on in my life. So um, when I was younger, uh, less responsibilities, you know, I was certainly would have done it. Uh, I saw the spring training game at the Los Angeles Coliseum back in, I think it was 2008. You know, they had supposedly 115,000 people. I there was there too. That was, that, that was, you know, the Dodgers played there for what four seasons when they moved out to LA. Yeah. And I'm like, great, this is a way to get that ballpark to count that because this is, you know, it's a game, you know, major league team, Red Sox and Dodgers. And it, it's a one time event. And obviously, they're not going to do it again. Um, and I know the Olympic Stadium in Montreal has been used that, you know, a couple spring training games for the past five years, Blue Jays. I, I've still not been to Olympic Stadium. So I'd like to do that at some point in time. Uh, I, I, you know, they, there was a major league game in Omaha this year at the College World Series site. Um, I imagine they'll continue to do that, you know, play one game a year there before the CWS for the years to come. That's probably one I can definitely do. Places that are maybe London or Mexico City, maybe some of the other ones. I'd love to be able to do it, um, you know, but, I've, you know, I'm, I'm trying to really see as many of the ballparks here yeah. <laughs> in the U.S. as I can. And those are you go to for one game, you know, you're going to go to London and that's it. You know, I mean, I'm, I would love to see London and England and everything else around it. But in terms of a baseball standpoint, there is no baseball to see beyond that individual game. So, um, you know, I'm still missing the minor league ballparks in Montana. I can get, you know, three, four in that state if I ever make it out there. <laughs> um, so I'm more happy to do that. You know, my well, dream trips are maybe not what other people would choose. You know, it's more baseball centric, maybe some, some places that I haven't been to. Well, Graham, for all you've done, I mean, in terms of uh, all the information you've compiled and the stories and the and the insights uh, at BaseballPilgrimages.com, thank you very much on behalf of all of us. It is. It's an amazing archive you've created, and uh, anybody can check it out, and I think it really helps enhance a baseball road trip. Well, Chris, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, I enjoyed it, and, um, you know, we have that similar passion, so it's it's been nice. This is the kind of conversation we could have had if we had met, run into each other at a ballpark and didn't know each, each other, you know, didn't know about the other one. So um, it's been, it's been fun. I wish we could do it again at some point in time. Well, so, on that so note, I think we are definitely due to catch a game together at some point. So let's, let's please make plans offline for that. Okay. We'll do. Sounds good. I want to thank Graham Knight for being my guest today on roadside baseball, the podcast. Be sure to check his website, baseballpilgrimages.com out when you get a chance and again be prepared to get lost in there there is a ton of really incredible information there's a Facebook page too that goes along um, with that a companion Facebook page so once again Graham Knight baseball traveler my guest today on Roadside Baseball Podcast my name is Chris Epting I appreciate you hanging in for the conversation and I will be back in a few days with something new for you